All right. I appreciate that worship team here today. They're awesome. All right. How's everybody doing on a rainy day, right? Hey, didn't anybody tell you it was raining? This place is almost full. What's wrong with you guys? Huh? Hey, um, so I've been involved with New Life Church for almost 16 years now. And I was involved in uh, campus development when uh, Cabot was in the old building, but not the old building that most of you remember. I'm talking about the old building when it was a dance hall, all right? This smelled like a dance hall. It looked like a dance hall. And then we uh, made it what it is today, which is still not that great. But uh, I remember that a lot of the guys there, uh, some of the leaders in that first time, this is before Pastor James was ever the pastor here. We were looking for a pastor uh, for a period of time, and I remember bringing him in, and, but the leadership of that team was, was so good. So we brought, we brought James and Cody in. He spoke one time, and I probably had dozens of people come up and go, hey, can he be our pastor? Can he be a pastor? I said, well, wait a second. We got to bring other people in to try, you know? I mean, like, that's the only fair thing to do. So, no, we, we, uh, we brought a couple of people in and brought James back, and everybody really uh, wanted James in here. He's, this is the third largest campus in all of New Life, right here in Cabot, Arkansas. I'm going to tell you. Um, I'm not talking about the building, I'm talking about how many people sit in the chairs. This is amazing uh, that right here in Cabot is it, and it's, it's probably not stopped at all. And, but uh, I've learned this about good leaders, and James is a good leader. Some are just born that way. Uh, they just, they're so smart that they just can't help but succeed. And some work really, really hard. Uh, can I just say that James was not born that way, okay? Um, you can ask Cody. Uh, he worked really hard for everything he'd got putting up with you guys, all right? And, uh, but I often talk to James and if you know James at all, if he ever made a mistake, you ever been around James when he made a mistake, he feels terrible about it, he wants to talk about it, uh, and he, so we say, James, you're doing a greatest job. We tell him he's doing a great job, and, he, and what he'll always say is, he'll say, it's my teams. It's the people that help me. It's the people in life groups. It's the people serving. It's, it's all that. I just have a really good team. And uh, that is why he never takes credit for anything except if it's blame, and he really loves being your pastor. And so I just am thankful for a guy like him that works as hard as he can. He's not perfect, but uh, he's a really good pastor. Amen? All right, so let me tell you a little bit about my uh, family. So one major event just happened in my family is that my son, my youngest, graduated from Baylor University. And uh, so we have a picture up here of uh, he's the one that is uh, five years younger and six inches taller than his brother, okay? Then that's, uh, so that's uh, my three kids on the left and my son-in-law on your right. And uh, so what happened is you can tell that uh, they got their looks, you know, from my wife, Jill, thank God, right? But they got their brains from my wife, Jill, too. <laughs> They're pretty smart. And uh, so what happened, I gave them a little bit of attitude. They got a lot of attitude, and I take credit for all that, all right? So that, that's good. So uh, two of them, uh, not the one that just graduated, but the other two live in New York City. And so they've been there for a few years, and my son's 27, and he's moving out of his apartment. And that apartment was, was 450 square feet for an apartment, okay? 15 feet by 30 feet, that include living room, bedroom, kitchen, 
bathroom closets, okay, in 450 square feet. So it was crammed, and it cost $3,000 a month. No, I'm not joking. You can just check. But uh, so he, he invited me. He said, look, I'm moving out of my apartment. This would be a great time. You've never done this. Come up and just stay about two months with us, which I couldn't do. So I stayed a month. I stayed the entire month of November and, uh, and half of December. But he said, one thing, Dad, if you're going to come up, I have one rule. You can't drink Starbucks coffee. I said, wait a minute. I live on Starbucks coffee. I have to have Starbucks. He goes, Dad, you just don't understand. I live in the West Village. And in the West Village, we get the best craft coffee shops. How many of you know that there's a renaissance going on in coffee right now? All the new roasters and everything like that. I actually joined a coffee club called Angel's Cup Coffee, and they send you these new blends. So uh, this is, it's changed the way that I drink coffee. So I told him, all right, I'll come. And so, but it did, it changed the way I drink coffee now because I like what, what he did. And so, how many people love coffee in the house, right? Okay. <laughs> Was that perfect timing or what? How many love coffee a little too much, right? Right, okay, right. So, um, you know, no matter how you feel about Starbucks, uh, they really changed the culture in the United States in the way that we view coffee and how we hang out there and everything. They have 24,000 stores. I don't know if you know that. It's a lot of stores. And so uh, when Howard Schultz, he's the CEO now, he joined the company in 1982. And when he was on a buying trip in Milan, Italy, he, uh, was, he decided, I'm going to just go check out the coffee shops in Italy. And I'm going to sit there. And what he found out was amazing. He said, he said, this wasn't just a place where people hurried up, got their caffeine fix, and left. This is a place where community happened. This is a place where parents would bring their kids and hang out and just do things. And people would sit around for hours. Business people would be there. They would just be, he said, it was just a place where life itself happened around a cup of espresso. And he said, it was like... Back then, a love affair around a cup of coffee. And I know that sounds dramatic, but that's what he says in his book. And uh, so through a long series of events, Howard Schultz bought the company we know as Starbucks in, uh, night, in the late 80s. And uh, they did really great up until like in, they started adding stores, adding stores. And in 2000, I believe, six. They, early 2006, they decided that some things were going wrong and they shut a bunch of stores. I don't know if you've ever seen a Starbucks store close, but that's when it happened generally. And uh, after, right after that, he appointed an ex-Walmart CEO to be the president of Starbucks. And for about a year and a half or two, sales were crazy good Profits were good. I mean, the financial statement was amazing, and, uh, but something was wrong. He, um, coffee sales were down. Even though sales were way up, coffee sales were down. There were a lot of complaints about the quality of the coffee and the atmosphere, the customer service was not at all what it used to be. So shortly after all that, he came back in, he fired that, C, that Walmart CEO, came back in, and uh, he did something really dramatic. Some of you may remember this. In 2008, 
He shut all 7,100 stores at that time in the United States. How many of you remember one day going to get a cup of coffee in 2008 and all the Starbucks were closed? If you remember that, it really did happen. And so some of the people uh, in the early service remembered it. But uh, what happened was they became a store selling products. They had coffee machines, they had all this merchandise, and they became a store doing that and Schultz realized that they had compromised the very thing that they loved the most, the thing that they had passion over, which was coffee. So he came back and he, he shut 7,100 stores from 3 p.m. till midnight just so that he could retrain every employee in the entire chain how to make a better cup of coffee and how to bring back the customer service and the atmosphere that they were known to have in the beginning. The very thing that they had passion for had become dull and routine, and it was exchanged for something else. And I think this is a really great lesson for our lives, whether it be your career, whether it be a relationship that you're in, a marriage, or maybe just your ministry. I'm in the ministry now, and it relates to ministry very well. We start doing something with passion. We're all excited about it. And how many of you know, sometimes that passion just falls off a cliff. And this is what Jesus said would happen in the last days. He said in Matthew 24, he said, sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many, and in most translations it says the love of most, will grow cold. Now, relax. I'm not going to be pointing fingers about, hey, your love for God's grown cold. That's not what I'm going to do. I hope that this becomes an encouraging word. We're in this series called Did You Know? And the, what I want to call this message would be, did you know you can find love again? No matter how far you've strayed away, you can find it again. You can find the passion for God again. You can find that passion for that person again. You can find a passion for what you do in life again. You can find love again. First John chapter 4 says this in verse 7, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Look, most of you are probably here because while there was a time that you were not attractive to God in any way, you had nothing to offer to God, he sent his son for you, and he loved you well enough that it changes the way that you see life today before you knew him. Is that right? So you get involved in serving people, helping people. You get involved in life groups. You get involved in doing whatever you can. But love can get cold and stale if we're not careful. So what I want to do today is I'm going to give you three things to remember about finding love again. Okay? Three things to remember about finding love again. The first one is that love is a decision, not a feeling. And that sounds really good. Uh, that, a lot of people like that point. But how many of you are glad that love has feelings? What would love be if love didn't have feelings? Like, I'm not a fan of the Jerry Maguire movie at all, um, but I hear it's a favorite in the Bennett household, and that James often will be going around and telling Cody, you complete me. <laughs> and she'll turn around in her squeaky little voice, 
and say, oh, James, you had me at hello. All right. Many of the people in this room probably knew my wife, Jill. She passed away about four years ago, but a remarkable person by a lot of standards. And, uh, and so when I first met her, feelings were definitely involved. I saw a picture of her before I ever met her. I said, man, that's a pretty girl. So uh, I decided I'd meet her and then see what I could do. She was a few years younger than me. And so I, uh, I decided she liked to jog or she liked to run. So, so I said, I don't really like to run that much. Uh, I don't like to jog, but if that's what it takes, I'll do it. So I, 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 we started jogging on the levee of the Mississippi River in Louisiana. That's where we lived. And so we would jog, you know, maybe once a week, every couple of weeks, something like that. And so we would jog pretty frequently. And about eight months in, I, I decided to say, hey, Jill, you know, uh, maybe uh, would you ever think about bumping our relationship up to maybe, you know, dating or something, you know? And she, no, I never thought of that one before at all. Okay, so we kept jogging, you know, and... Uh, so another eight, 10 months in, I forget how long, I asked her, say, you know, these feelings I have, they're not going away. I was just wondering, no. I said, okay, wow. I think the third time the word restraining order might've been used, I'm not sure. <laughs> so, um, so we kept jogging and I thought, man, what am I gonna do? So I went to the store and I pulled out the secret weapon and I bought me some of them really, you know, those short jogging type shorts, okay? Those ones that runners use that nobody likes to see them wear? Baby, I got me some. And I'm just telling you that I don't know why, but shortly after that, the deal was closed, okay? All right, is it okay to lie and preach at the same time? No, that story really is about 80% true, okay? But I remember uh, she wasn't, people called her perfect. And uh, Natalie knows, people just called her perfect. She was just a really unique person. And she hated being called perfect. Uh, she wasn't perfect. She, she, I remember at least three things in 28 years that she did wrong, okay? Um, she, she was not perfect because, because God knew that it would be impossible for two perfect people to be married to each other, okay? I loved my wife. But early in our marriage, I allowed my anger to rule in that marriage. And I, I would get mad when we were shopping. I'd get mad in traffic. I'd get mad at something in the house that didn't go right. Uh, I'd get mad at the dog. I'd, I literally kicked my dog. I had a golden retriever, the nicest dog you could ever have. And I'm kicking him. And she actually had to tell somebody to come in and, Bobby, quit kicking your dog. It scares everybody. And so now I have a new dog and his name's Baylor. And, uh, and uh, he's like my dog in heaven is looking down, dog heaven is looking down and he's saying this just isn't fair because you're spoiling this dog and you kicked me. And so, so I, I'll put myself up against anybody in this room on how to spoil a dog. Like I love laying on the sofa, right? Like after a hard day of work, I'll be laying on the sofa, watching a little sports or something. And then I get up just for a minute or two and this happens right here, okay? <laughs> I'm just telling you, it's, it, it's, but I allowed in my marriage, my negative emotions and, and feelings to neutralize 
the decision that I had made to love my wife. One day, I yelled at one of the kids while everybody was around, and she said, can I talk to you? She pulled me aside. She goes, you will never, my 100-pound wife said, you will never do that again. I told you she was mean. But here's the deal. I took for granted the person I fell in love with. It became routine. Staying in love with God or anybody else takes work. Amen? Some people say, well, you know, I just fell out of love. You probably didn't just fall out of love. You probably just really quit trying. You either had too much conflict or too much distance, and you wouldn't, you wouldn't go get help. You, wouldn't, you, would, you just withdrew rather than to tell somebody. And I'm just going to say that if something's going on in your relationship, telling somebody is over 50% of the battle because there are good people around that can help you. You can write that one, take that one to the bank. Look, God didn't just feel. We don't do what we just feel. God didn't just feel like loving us because we were lovable. I mean, some of you guys would be in big, big trouble if that were the case. In Romans 5, it says this. When we were utterly helpless. No, it didn't say when we were helpless. He says when we were utterly helpless, 100% helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people wouldn't be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. Maybe that. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. We were the worst of the worst, and he sent. How many of you just really appreciate what God did for you and that has changed your life? Amen. Get this, God is not going to love you any more than he does right now. But he doesn't love you any less. He, can't, he will never love you any more or less than he does right now. He, he's 100% in, 100% in love with you. And that's all he can do. In 1 John 4.16, you read this, God is love. Whoever lives in God, lives in love, lives in God, and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence. Can you say confidence on the day of judgment? In this world, we are like Jesus. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out all fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So um, I read that scripture to uh, the second point reads something like this. It says, finding love again will make you confident and courageous. Pastor Rick, our pastor, uh, when he first became a Christian, he said, the thing that propelled him in the ministry is looking around to see how many people just didn't have any confidence at all in their walk with God. They were Christians, but when they looked you in the eye, they would just kind of, they would kind of look down. He said, for some reason, the way that churches would preach legalism at that time would cause people to most of the time feel guilty. And it drove him crazy. So the one thing I know about him, he wants everybody to be able to say, I live for Christ and I'm proud of it. And I just, look, I make mistakes, but I know that God loves me and I'm confident in that fact. Amen? Verse 18 says, no fear in love because perfect love drives out all fear. 
Now, some of you may have a, feel like you have a fear problem, a really big fear problem about things. And what I might suggest, if it's toward people, that maybe you don't have a fear problem, maybe you have a love problem. And I don't mean to be pushy on that topic, but I just want you to hear me out. Because I believe every time that you've seen courage, you've probably seen love. There's a lady that grew up in uh, Poland and uh, during the Holocaust. Remember World War II when they, they took the Jews and systematically killed, uh, you know, probably up to 10 million Jews at the time. And so this is in Poland. And they took the Jews and put them in the ghettos and they were, they were routinely just killing them, even the, the kids. So this lady named Irina Sendler, there's been an, uh, a movie about her, she saved 2,500 kids during that time in Poland, and she would, she would like hide a kid in an ambulance between stretchers so they couldn't see him, and they would go off, and the kid, she would tell them what to do, and then the kid would be free. Sometimes she would put them in sewer pipes or other underground-type passageways. She would even put kids in luggage, suitcases, put them on a trolley, and just send them along so that they wouldn't be killed. And sometimes she would just pretend that they were really sick. Hey, this one's really sick. I'm going to go take care of this one myself and let the child go. And so when they interviewed her for this documentary, uh, they, they asked her, where did you find all the courage to do this? Like, because she could have really been punished severely for this. She goes, well, I don't know if I had a lot of courage, but I do know I had a lot of love. I was taught that if you see a person drowning, you must jump into the water to save them, whether you can swim or not. How many of you know that if you love somebody a lot and you see them in danger, you forget all about the danger and you go in anyway, right? Here's what I want to say. If God's love is active inside of you, then you're going to reach out to others in spite of the possibility of rejection. Just because you're outside of someone's circle of love does not mean that they have to be outside of your circle of love. You can overcome rejection. You can enlarge your circle of love even though people mistreat you. And I'm telling you, people notice a person like that. They're full of love even though they're being mistreated. Most successful salesmen, if, if you know many successful salesmen, uh, they get rejected over 80% of the time. But oh, that 20% can make somebody very, very wealthy. They teach you in insurance and a lot of other sales that it might even be as much as 90%. But you can get rich if you overcome the possibility and the fear of rejection. We all, you know, I guess we often feel rejected because we feel like maybe people don't love us enough. That's why we feel rejected. But I'm going to say that sometimes we feel rejected because we don't love enough. And I'm just going to tell you, you wouldn't feel it as much if love was in your heart more than the, the feeling of rejection. Counselors will tell you that a lack of love, now, have you ever heard the word love tank? It's, it's what you have like the, the psychologists will say, we have this tank inside of us. And as we're kids, people pour into that tank and say, the, the counselors will say 
that the most, the largest reason for emotional pain is the lack of love inside of a person. And so at the end of the service, I'm just going to pray that the love of God will fill us all up and we're going to be different walking out of this room today. Every year in Alaska, there's a, a, a race called the Adida Sport. How many of you have ever heard of the Adida Rod with the dogs, right? This is the Adida Sport. It's a 170-mile race on skis, mostly cross-country. So 170 miles. And one year, I don't know which year, but there's a professional skier named Jim Jaggers who was so far ahead of the pack that he was, uh, after 120 miles, he was two hours ahead of the person, the next closest person. And then something happened. He explains it like, I just started crying. I had a little bit of a breakdown. I had an emotional uh, breakdown. And so I started going really slow. And in the next 30 miles, the two hours was made up. And that guy that was second passed him up after just 30 more miles to go. And uh, no, in 20 miles, sorry. And so what he did is something inside of him snapped. And Jim Jaggers pulled out his sleeping bag, pulled off to the side of the race, and fell asleep while everybody passed him by for the rest of the race. Um, Have you ever felt, this is a true story, but have you ever felt like just giving up, pulling out the sleeping bag? Maybe life is going tough right now. Maybe some things are going on in your life. And you just feel like, I want to pull out my sleeping bag go to the side, sleep this thing through, and pull out the white flag and just say, I'm done. You know? I believe that we need the courage and confidence that only the love of God can give us, and he can give it to us. The secret of living with confidence is who we put our confidence in. If you put confidence in yourself, you're just gonna be shaky, and we don't, nobody wants that to happen. And the opposite of confidence is uncertainty. The indecision and uncertainty and and doubting all the time. When we put our confidence in God, Philippians 4.13 becomes true and it says we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And I really believe that that's what he wants to do here today is put confidence and courage back in our hearts when he pours in love. Amen? All right. Are you still with me? I'm going to get to the last point, but before I do, I'll tell you a little story that happened recently. Uh, one of the campus pastors that I'm very friendly with called me. He said, Bobby, a couple came to me for counseling, and uh, I got to tell you this story. It's so crazy. Uh, they're doing well now. I'll just tell you that. And he didn't tell me any names, so relax, okay? But uh, he said they came in, and their marriage was a mess. And so he, so through the counseling series, he, he would go through different aspects of their life, and uh, finally he got to the point, well, tell me, who does the task around the house? How do you, uh, who does the chores around the house? And they, they smiled, both of them smiled real big. They pulled out a sheet of paper out of the purse and said, okay, on this side, here's what I do, here's what she does, okay? And uh, she, so they had it all divided as to who took out the garbage, who fed the dog, who went shopping, who paid the bills, who changed the toilet paper rolls, who bought things, you know, all this kind of thing. Their marriage was falling apart, but they had everything 
What started in passion and love ended in performance. And the last point I want to make to you is this, that love is lost when it becomes just a list. Okay? Uh, this is a point about your relationships, but it's also a point about religion. Uh, Revelation 2.2 uh, it says this, Jesus is talking to one of the churches in Revelation, and he says this, I know all the things you do, list. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. Boy, that's good. You've examined the claims of those who say they're apostles, but they're not. That's good. You've, you've discovered that they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting, list, list, list. But then he says, but I have this complaint against you. Can you imagine that? He tells them all the good things that they did and then tells them he has a complaint against them and he says this, you don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you've fallen that your love has just become a list. Turn back to me and do the works that you did at first. Hey, where I sit at New Life Church, this is actually a very positive verse because everybody who serves here, and we train a lot of people about what we do here, but there's a lot of serving here going on in the parking lot and everything going on here. Everybody here, uh, they greet at the door, they take care of kids. Um, everything that's going on it, it, it's exciting. But one of the things that we like to do when, when we train people in the school of ministry or something else is that we want the heart of what we do to get in there before we tell them the methodology and the systems. We want to make sure they get why we're doing what we're doing. You know, we sit around sometimes and go, wow, what would make our church? You ever been to a stale church, a really church that was just mean and stale, and you walk in and go, ooh, I just don't want to be. But we sit around the room and go, that could happen to us because that church didn't start that way. You can book it. So what would cause us to become that way if we're not careful? And that can only happen when methodology takes over what only the heart can do. You know, as, as I said, I was, I've been involved in new life. And, and I, like I said, I saw caught people serving everywhere. We have serve team launched this weekend. It's going to be awesome. Uh, you know, people that take care of your kids and change diapers. I mean, come on. How many of you are glad you can come to church and have somebody that you trust taking care of these things? We couldn't even have church if people didn't do the things that they do, greeting at the doors and, 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 and all that. I mean, I just think it's, it's amazing. So I used to travel around to all the campuses, and I would, I would look around at what was, not what was right, but I would look at what was wrong uh, there's nothing wrong here today. I tell you, you have a great church here. But uh, when I, I took over the Conway campus about a year and a half ago, and one thing I noticed that we were not doing 100% right was we had people in every place. We had people taking care of the kids. Call. We had all that. It was great. We had people at the doors. Great. And uh, one thing I know, when you plant a brand new church, like when this church, this location was on its first day, we pulled all the team together and said, hey, listen, everybody, there are going to be people walking in for the first time here that never have walked in. Like, obviously, the church has grown so much that some of you sitting here came in that day. 
And so we got together and said, we need to, we need to contact them and find out what their names are, what, the, what their spouse's name is, what their kids' names are, where do they work, what do they do, what do they love, what kind of things have they been involved in, why? Because the whole purpose is that we want to take that person and connect them with another person in our church. But a system can't do that. You can't, the people standing at the door don't have the time to do that. And so we have learned in the Conway campus, and I've talked to James about this. I think you guys are doing it too. We have people that are just going out and making sure that people are engaged in the form, because people are walking in the store. How many of you know that every week it's grand opening for somebody? Somebody's coming in for the first time, second time, maybe they're hurt, maybe something's going on, and they need a personal touch. Because a system, you can't institutionalize what's born out of love. A system can help, but everything must come from the heart, and we can't lose what... Uh, so everything that, that happens in a church is represented. You have a serve team and life group launch here today, and uh, I just want to say, I told this to Conway last week, is that maybe you've never served in this church before, and you think maybe, you know, I really don't know that I'd love doing it. I'm just going to say you ought to give it a try. And the reason I say that is you'll love this church more if you invest in it. And you may try it and not love it, and at least you tried. But my guess is you're going to try it and you are going to love it because that's where the heart of God is. And that's what we need to do. What I want to do, we're talking about reigniting the love that God's put in us. I'm going to read this scripture and then I'm going to end. 1 Corinthians 13, we all know it, but I'm going to read it out of the Message Bible. It says, if I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr but don't have love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. Love cares for more, more for others than for self. Ouch. Love doesn't want what it does not have. Ouch. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Hello. Doesn't revel when others grovel. It takes pleasure in flowering in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. And one translation says, love never fails. Never fails. Would you stand up with me? You know, Starbucks lost their way. And what they had to do you have to admit that it's pretty bold of them to admit that they lost their way after being so successful. That's pretty bold of them, right? But they got it right. They closed the stores. They trained people again. They got their heart back in the place. They got it right. They just admitted. That's kind of some, how many of you would say, I might need to admit something. You know what the Bible calls that? Confession. That's the spiritual name for it. But it's really good when you say, maybe I don't love God as much as I used to. Maybe I don't have as much joy. Maybe something's not exactly where it used to be. I just need to admit it and, and remember that God 
God will always, when you are humble and you admit, He will rush in and, and hit you with His grace. And that's all I want to do right now. I want you to bow your heads with me. And I want to ask you if you would just say, you know, I need to admit that I'm not where I need to be with God right now. It might show up in the relationships I have with other people, in the way that I am selfish, in the way that I just think about myself, but I'm not really where I need to be with God right now. Maybe I once knew Him and I've fallen away. I've, I've lost that part of that love. It's grown cold, like you're saying. Or maybe I just never have made a commitment to Christ, but in either case, it's about you and God that changes everything else. And I'm just going to ask, with no one looking around, would you please just let me know if that's you. You'd say, I need to get back and have a loving relationship with God. Yeah, thank you so much. Yes. Keep your hands up. Hands going up everywhere. Yes. Come on. Be honest today. Be honest. We need God. We need the love of God in us. Hey, let's all put our hands in front of us, even those of us who didn't raise our hand. Father, I pray for every person in this room, especially those who lifted their hand and admitted that they need you. They need the love of God bigger in their life. I pray, Lord, that you'd fill us all with your mercy and your grace and the ability to love other people as we love you. So, Father, forgive us for anything that we've done. Help us figure out how to have good relationships, Lord, even if it means opening up and talking to someone else, Father. I pray for each person that they would walk out of here more full of the love of God than they did when they walked in. Lord, make us different. Please enter us. We open the door and ask you to come in now. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's worship together.